Oh. Whoa. Can you hear? Does it sound awesome? It sounded uh, really weird at first, uh, but uh, now it sounds like really good now. Oh, awesome. I am I am calling you from from a different computer than I always never always call you from. This is a new this is a new thing. It's cuz cuz Apple it's, broke my other computer. Just, is, is it just a temporary thing, Ben? I don't know. I'm not yeah, I would I'm not actually sure about that. It may be a more permanent thing than than I I realize. Um but I I've talked about a little so a little little bit of background. I texted Don um yesterday uh that I was uh, attempting to update my um a 2011 MacBook Air. That's how old it is. It's six years old, and it has done so well for me. Well, that's the problem, Ben. It's just too Don, old. Don, it's so good. It's so old. It's it's old school. Um, my MacBook Air that's been uh, all around the world with me, um, and am number one computer in my <laughs> literally heart. literally all around the world. Yeah, yeah, literally all around the world. Uh, and number yeah, number one computer in my heart. Uh, well, <laughs> but um, I, I tried to take it to High Sierra from Sierra, uh, which is uh, that's what we call yeah. uh, for, for, we call that uh, uh, low Sierra or, or sober Sierra. <laughs> oh, from from fixed Sierra to broken Sierra, <laughs> and uh, and see High Sierra was not was not happy with the um, uh, memory module, whatever that means. Um, I, oh, I attempted to use. I didn't attempt to use. I used yeah. Apple stuff, uh, Apple um, feedback. You know where where they they it would now when something goes wrong with your computer, you get a message saying, "Would you like someone from Apple to call you?" And I said, the "I yes. would like." Apple. <laughs> yeah. So so that two minutes later, someone from Apple called me. Like it was literally two minutes. Nice. Um, and, and yeah, except the part that was not so nice was he said, "Oh, oh, that's that's not a good me- that's not a good message." Not a good message. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then it, then I tried to restart my computer, and it had a big question mark where the file structure should be. Ooh. Um, Ooh. So uh, now, th- so this is this is a machine with uh, SSD. Yes. So do you think that that basically because, you know, I, I don't know if yes. you know this, Ben, but when you upgrade uh, an SSD to High Sierra, um, it, it migrates your file system to I, I know. APFS. I know. Yeah. Yep. All right. So, wow. So I don't know. Um, but uh, I, I this this is uh, 2017 and I am. A hundred times less panicked about this because I have no files that are on that computer that don't already exist somewhere else. Right. So like back, backup Dropbox. Yep. Backup Dropbox. Um, all my this this is where my uh, ridiculous amount of email that sits in Gmail has come very yep. handy to yep. me. Um, and uh, and I have and, and I've. I've been operating like like a DJ with uh, with two laptops for a while. One, which I'm calling you on right now, which is a a MacBook from I don't know, like 2015 or something. Let me look at what version this baby is. It's an early 2015 Retina 12-inch MacBook, uh, and uh, I, this is my preferred lap laptop. Where my MacBook Air was my preferred desk laptop because. Uh, stupidly, this machine does not talk nicely with my Thunderbolt monitors, external oh, displays. Yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, there's wow. no solution. There's no solution. Um, although the solution is to take 
my old MacBook Air and take this MacBook and and somehow combine them into a new MacBook because the new MacBooks will talk to my Thunderbolt because they have the chipset yep. for Thunderbolt three, all that BS. So so, so anyway, that, so what are you do, what are you happening? So what are you doing with the 2011 machine? Uh, cur- <laughs> currently, it is uh, sitting. Uh, Closed faced uh, on my on my computer or on my desk at home. Uh, what I what I'm going to do is take it to uh, a, an authorized Apple dealer, you know, fixer. Not the Apple Store, which uh, the Apple guy told me on the phone. He's like, "Don't take this to the Apple Store because they won't have the right parts to fix this because it's old. Because it's old. Yeah, oh, and he didn't okay. want to say it. Yeah, he, he, he didn't, didn't say, say like that. It's, he didn't say that. No, but. He didn't say it's. He said it's aged. It's, it's, it's <laughs> like seasoned, a, like a fine wine and cheese. Like a fine wine, yeah. So, <laughs> so anyway, that's. Uh, so I'll be I, I, at some point. I'm going to take it somewhere, and and if the cost to fix it is like more than a hundred dollars, then I won't fix it, and I'll just buy a new MacBook. Yeah. Um, wow. Something like that. Or I will, and and I I don't know. I haven't I haven't really decided. I, I'm not. I, truthfully. Um, uh, it was time to not use Retina on on a laptop anymore, anyway, uh, because that MacBook Air did not have Retina display. So it was, you know, when I switch back and forth, it is cloudy and and a little bit hard on your eyes. Huh. So. Um, so anyway, that was uh, so that that was kind of so we're we're doing something different. I've never uh, recorded a podcast on this uh, on this MacBook, so I had to do things like. I had Skype on here, but I had to install Call Recorder yesterday. Uh, I had to make sure my settings were all good. And and what's kind of weird is it seems to be working. Like maybe I should have made this transition a while ago because you sound better. Uh-huh. <laughs> maybe, uh-huh. maybe there was some old old uh, old technology that I was working with. Um, and one of the things with that with that MacBook Air that that I've never told you about because it never happened in the actual recordings. Was sometimes you would talk, and you would be loud, and then you would be quiet, and then you would be loud again, and then you would be quiet, and then you would be the correct um, volume level. And at no point in any of that did I touch anything. Well, that that also might have been my very poor microphone technique because I, I think I've noticed that too. Oh, it could that could be it. So I guess so my 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 new relatively new MacBook uh, and new to the podcast MacBook will not fix your microphone technique. Is that, is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, all I'm saying is um, it depends on what caused the problem. But, yes, you getting you getting a new computer will not fix my microphone technique. <sighs> well, that's too bad. Um, so, yeah, so that that happened. But I have you. All right. Uh, here, here's some like. Uh, background into my psyche. Um, I, I have had multiple times where something's gone gone wrong with the computer, and I have decided at that point that I was going to just try and fix everything and mess around with settings and reinstall the operating system and restore it from backup, and and then that has created multiple more problems. But it's because. I am panicked at that time. I'm like, oh, I I can't be without this computer right now. This needs to be fixed. I will do, and it's 9:30 at night, and it's a Thursday, and I don't care if I'm up until 4 a.m. I will make it so this computer is humming. And 80% of the time, I don't fix it. Like it it doesn't work that way. And I have uh, because of my irrational thoughts, I make the problem drastically worse. So 
so today I didn't have or yesterday I didn't have any of that. I just didn't be like, oh, I'll just I'll just move everything to this other computer that I've been using. So it's kind of nice. Yeah, and and my so if if I so first of all, thank you for sharing for sharing this. If anybody out there has a, a 2011 MacBook and they're considering upgrading to High Sierra, um, go see the conversation that Ben and I just had over the previous eight minutes and 23 seconds, <laughs> because you should listen to that. Right. Um, listen. But uh, so I have thought about upgrading. It's this kind of project that I wouldn't want to take on during the work week. I think maybe I will try to do it this weekend um, or maybe starting, you know, Friday night. Because if something goes seriously wrong, like I, I don't have another computer, right? Like I have this laptop, I have my phone, I have my iPad, and that's it, right? Like I just only have this one, uh, one laptop. And if it goes, and if it goes south, right? Like I've got Dropbox, I've got Backblaze, I've got my Time Machine backups. You know, I've got all the stuff, right? It's there. And, and, yeah. and I've got my everything in in my email system, which is all on the web, right? But um, uh, I just need like a computer to run all that. Now I could limp along with, um, you know, using like Dropbox on my iPad, I suppose. And I, yeah, I could, I could get by, but it would be, there's so much that I need a laptop to, to actually do. So I would, uh, I, I just would need to like, I don't know. I would, I need to, yeah, I need to have a lar- a large yeah. block of uninterrupted time ahead of me so I can go to the Apple store and say, Hey guys, uh, you need to fix this for me. Fix this. Yeah. yeah. Oh, or, or you could, uh, you could just get another laptop. <laughs> well, that, yeah, like, like I, I had. exactly. Well, but this is, mine is like new, right? Like this is a new, new retina. Uh, let's see about this Mac. This is a, um, MacBook pro 15 inch 2016. So this, oh. this should be fine for upgrading. So if it not, should. if I, not, there's, you know, that's not good. I'm in a situation now where I know, so if this MacBook Air does not get fixed, that I won't be using an external display that I'm currently looking at, which I love, and another one at home for a while, because I was hoping that it, that at some point in the last year that there would be an announcement of a new MacBook, hmm. um, and, and there hasn't there hasn't been. like with And all I care about is just I want more. <laughs> I don't want it. I want the MacBook to be... As thin as it is, as light as the one that I have, just just like faster and more stuff, more more processor and more storage. So then, and, so and less less ports. And I want I want I, I only I, I really I have the, on my MacBook I have two. There are two ports. There is one USB C and there is one headphone port. And Don, I'm good. Give up that headphone port. I don't need it anymore. Well, I, I I have I have one one head I have one uh, headphone port and then I have four USB C ports and I I really feel like I like to have I, I don't ever use four but I will occasionally be using three and I I just like to have extra ports so yeah. I, I'm I'm good with the with the one with the port that I have and then right now I've got the I got the dongle with the uh, with an extra uh, extra port on there dongle with a port. There you go. There you go. Um, uh, so, so, so I so I've I've made I've made two song references um, uh, in in our preliminary conversation. Did you get either one of them? No, Don. I'm like not. I'm not on my game today. Okay. Well, we'll uh, you'll, yeah. you'll have to wait for the show notes. <laughs> oh my gosh, that sucks. I Don. I, I, can I tell you, I'm a little bit down. I mean, I, I, I'm, yeah, well, I did. Yeah. I, yeah. I, and I know why. So go ahead. I I want to talk about this. This is and. I, I am, uh, 
So, so uh, for those who listen to the show, I, I mentioned uh, a few things, uh, I guess, multiple times. One is that I'm Canadian. Um, I and think they picked up on that. Yeah, might have picked up on that a few times. Uh, and and two that I, I like uh, I like Canadian music. I've exposed uh, Don to to some musical stylings. Uh, talked about some bands, and um, th- the Canadian band, the Tragically Hip. Their their frontman, lyricist, uh, lead lead singer, uh, sometimes acoustic guitar playing uh, uh, guy, uh, Gord Downey, uh, uh, died yesterday. And this is. Um, this is weird. I'm going to, I'm going to talk a little bit about this because I've not ever quite experienced this and I don't know if I can fully explain it. Um, so, so there, so tragically hip are, um, a band that, that is you know, very, very popular in Canada. Um, in the early nineties, um, tried to to make it big in the US as as all Canadians do, you know, like like I tried. Um and and didn't, you know, just didn't hit. They were on Saturday Night Live in 1994 and you know that that Saturday Night Live uh, musical guest spots, uh, it's marquee. Uh, Dan Aykroyd was hosting uh the episode and he's from uh Kingston, Ontario where this band is from. These are a, a group of five high school buddies that just started playing in a band together. And, uh, and they never, you know, they never made it big in, in, in the U S and then really embraced their Canadianism and how, and how big they were in Canada, um, and, and made, you know, a career and, uh, a movement and, you know, political statements, uh, from, from their, um, you know, level of celebrity, but there, I was trying to describe this to to some guys that I was playing hockey with last night who are not Canadian because they you know the the hockey community. So the other thing about the tragically hip is they they write um, largely uh, Canadian story based lyrics and multiple references to hockey. They have a few songs about hockey players and uh, and, and important hockey games. I mean, it's it's as cliched Cana- Canadian as you can get. Um, but I, I was trying to explain to a group of guys that are adjacent to this, that that know of the Tragically Hip, about how there really isn't a comparable situation with a U.S. band um, that I that I can that I can think of. Because if you like, if you are in three different generations and have any interest in any rock music, the tragically hip are an important band to, to you. There's no one that, that I, that I know that, that, that grew up there in the same time that I did, or even in a, you know, a generation ahead of me or generation just behind me who, um, who, who, who doesn't like them. Like there aren't, there aren't haters. It's not like Nickelback, uh, or, you know, the, the brunt of many, uh, uh, music jokes on, on the internet around Canada being a terrible band, the tragically hips, not, they're not like that. Like there's just, and my Facebook feed yesterday and Twitter kind of lit up exemplifying this with just sort of out of context, tragically hip lyrics posted that, that everyone, everyone knows and, and everyone sort of immediately gets. And so there is a, a, a level of, um, 
loss uh, here. It's weird. It's and I and I and I've been to a couple of concerts. The 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 tragically hip, or as they're known in Canada, the hip, um, uh, put on in um, in the U.S. and it's a whole different feel. Um, it, it, you know, they're, it's just very patriotic and, and I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what else to, to kind of say, but there's nothing, no other experience that I've, I've sort of, you know, been around. And when you experience it, you kind of just like look around at people and everyone is understanding, oh, okay, we're, we're something, something like special is going on here. Um, so he, uh, Gord Downey, uh, announced, um, almost, uh, you know, 18 months or 20 months ago that, that he had, uh, this inoperable brain cancer and had been dealing with memory loss and, um, and, and, and you know, it was, but then, uh, decided to, uh, go on tour and, and they did this not, they didn't call it like a farewell tour, but obviously kind of was like, we know that this, you know, his health's going to deteriorate. And so they played a bunch of shows um, all, all across Canada. And then, uh, their final show was broadcast live on CBC, um, all, you know, sort of all around the world or, you know, their app, uh, on Apple TV broadcasted. So we watched it and it was like really emotional, but then it was kind of like, okay, so it's done, right? Like the tragically hip, they're not going to tour anymore, but it still doesn't strike. It didn't strike me until like yesterday that, oh yeah, I mean, like, I know he's going to die cause we're all going to die, but, but it like brought all the emotions, uh, sort of back. Mm. So anyway, it was a tough, tough day. Um, and I listened to a lot of tragically hip yesterday and the, the last, that last concert that, that they put on, um, was, it was different. It wasn't the, it wasn't the hip that I wanted to remember. Like it was, it was final and, and you, you know, um, Gord was, um, uh, it sort of struggled to remember some lyrics and, and had reminders and, and it just didn't look, you know, look the, look the same or have the same feel. And it wasn't, it's not like it was terrible. It just wasn't the, you know, I I've seen this band, um, I don't know, 15 times or, or 20 times. And, um, but so there was, um, sorry to like ramble too much on this, but, um, there was a, a documentary that, that they, uh, produced about five years ago, six years ago about a concert they put on in a small town called Bob Cajun in Ontario. And the reason why they put a concert on in this small town called Bob Cajun is because they have the, and it's a, like an obscure town. It's because they have this song from the mid nineties called Bob Cajun. And, um, and so the, the documentary it's on iTunes. It, it tells the story of, how they decided to do this and, and, you know, putting a, a concert on for 65 or 80,000 people in a town of 2000 people in middle of Ontario and the you're like, what are the challenges and how are we going to do this? And then there's a lot of concert footage and that I watched that yesterday. Um, it's sort of in background and that's the tragically hip that, that like I, and Gord Downey that I really like remember. So, so if you're at all interested in, in this, check, check those out. I won't, I mean, I, I, I think it's hard, you know, I, I listen, you know, we, uh, Tom Petty died, um, last week and, uh, you know, there are similar discussions on podcasts that I, that I listened to and, and they're like, Hey, go listen to these albums. I, I don't think I could even tell you like, 
you know, go, go listen to these three albums of the tragically hip. Cause I think you have to also be like in Canada in 1992 to really get the, like, get it. Like the music's mm-hmm. great, but you can't like, it's not, it's not just about that. There's a, a level of nostalgia about, about the band. So, so anyway, sad, sad day, but thanks for letting me talk about it. Yeah, no, no, I, I, it's, it's good. And we'll, uh, we'll link to send me those links and we'll link to them. Um, oh, well. I, uh, I, I've already got a page up here from uh, BBC news. Um, I mean, you know, you know, it's, it really is taps into the national consciousness when, um, you know, you see, uh, some of the pictures of the first, when I, the first I learned of it, there was a picture of uh, Justin Trudeau, uh, the prime minister yeah. of Canada, who obviously was, was very affected by the music and, and knew, uh, knew Gord and, and knew the band and, and you could tell it was, it really affected him. And so, uh, that's, that's really, I think that gives a good sense of the, uh, of the importance of the, the singer and the band to the, to the country. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's funny. Like there's no, I, uh, one, one of the guys that, that I was talking to last night is like, you know, it's like Prince, right? Like everyone, everyone likes Prince. No one hates Prince. And, and well, that, that's you know true. Prince is, Prince is a really popular um, musician and, and, and was important to um, the fabric of music in, in the eighties and nineties. And, and, and I mean, and you know, later in his career as well, it, it's not, it, it wasn't it like, it really wasn't just about the music. It's like the, the importance of the stories mattered more, I think. And the, like, like you said, the, the fabric of, of Canada that was kind of woven around, around the band is it's, it's, it's different. It's like, it's like Woody Guthrie, but if everybody had a Woody Guthrie album that they listened to every morning, <laughs> Like yeah. it's, I don't, yeah, you know, yeah. like, it's, yeah, it, um, uh, I, uh, I was thinking about what I, you know, how, how we talk about this today and I, you know, I think I've mentioned, but my, my oldest son, Jack, his middle name is Neil, um, named after Neil Young and Neil Young is, uh, you know, has been a very important musician to me. Um, and, and I, I kind of thought as I was driving here today, I was like, why didn't we name, like, why isn't his middle name Gord? Like, and, <laughs> and, and I think the reason why is, is cause that would be like way, way too common, way too cliche. Like, yeah. like the child, a little, like, a little too on the everybody. nose. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it's like, well, that, of course, of course you're going to, if you're going to pick a, a middle name for a kid named after a musician, you pick Gord. So I'm going to pick Neil. <laughs> so anyway, let's, uh, let's get, get out of, uh, tragically hip safety talk and get into food safety talk. That's, um, that sounds good. Oh, uh, so, Hey, um, uh, something else I was reminded of today as I was driving to my office is, uh, Don, uh, the state fairs on here in North Carolina. And you know what that means? Oh, that means judging jams and jellies. It means a boatload of judging jams and jellies. Nice. Um, yeah. So I'm going to, so, so, uh, two years ago, three years ago, maybe we switched some rules up and I, uh, we'll link back to one of the, um, uh, previous episodes where we talked about this, but we had a couple of people that were really upset and one guy wanted my home address and, um, <laughs> you thought you know, he might be stalking you. I did. I had a panic because someone said he showed up and, and, you know, I, I don't, I mean, I, I people, people be crazy and, and sometimes, uh, <laughs> You don't know what, what happens. So anyway, none of, nothing, no, nothing happened. Uh, and I, you know, I, I got in a, uh, a tizzy about it, but, but we've, we've moved past that. We, uh, we, we had, um, just under 1100 entries that were, that were judged in jams and jellies. 
And Don, I want to report to you today that we tested the pH of about 80 of those products. And we did something a little different this year. We bought some test strips because people always ask me, can you check the pH of your product with test strips? Seems like a reasonable question. It is. And, and because, you know, uh, uh, you know, someone who's canning at home who may be interested in pH doesn't want to get a pH meter, sure. although they're not super expensive, but well, it is they're a hundred bucks, right? I mean, they're a hundred bucks. Yeah. And a bunch of pH strips is like 10 Yeah, and you get a bunch. So, so we did some, um, we, we, we got some pH strips and looked and looked at the pH with our pH meter and the pH strips. And because I think uh, that, the product is going to matter on, you know, all the weird phytochemicals that are in there that might interfere with the, um, the litmus paper and, um, the color of the product, like yep. your paper is, you know, it's supposed to turn purple, but you stick but it. In what if you stick it? it yeah, well, good. yeah. Or, or if it's supposed to turn purple and you stick it into purple, purple jelly right. that's that's not the right ph well it's gonna it's gonna turn purple from the purple jelly right yeah exactly so i i'm i'm gonna share this uh uh the spreadsheet with you i'm gonna i'm gonna uh send it to you right now cool um and and you and i are gonna talk about how we're gonna publish this stuff we, we've been but, talking about how we're gonna publish this stuff for a while but but yes yeah but we actually have like multiple years we, now. Yeah, we got a story. We got, or we got, we got several several parts of several stories. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we we do. Um, and so uh, the pH strips are not fantastic, but okay. they are maybe a little more um, conservative. Okay. Um, so so for instance, I'm I'm looking here. Actually, let me. Why don't you? Would you prefer I text this to you or email you? Uh, doesn't matter. I, e- email's probably best long long term. I don't. Okay, I don't I'm not sure do the that. text messaging is really designed for sending spreadsheets. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it <laughs> I, works. Look, look. This is this is no day to joke, Don. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm going to use that all day. Um, so pH strip will show that it's 4.2 and the actual pH of, of the product is 3.76 or the pH strip. No, but it's, but it's good enough because, because it's less than four, six and it's, and it's Uh, better, right? mm. Like, right. Like, like, because it is, if, if the pH meter was showing that it was 4.6 and the strip was showing 4.2, I would be more worried. Right. Um, here's one okay, where, right. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I guess, I guess you're right. I guess. So if it reads, if the pH strip reads higher then it's fail safe. Yep. Yes. Yep. So, so it's not, so maybe, maybe there's something here. Um, but we, you'll see there's a whole bunch where we can't read it. Ah, well, good. <laughs> because good of to the, know. Yeah. Because of the product. Right. So, so maybe it has utility in things like, um, uh, relishes or salsas and, uh, but, um, but, and what, what was kind of nice to see was it didn't show it to be lower than what our, what our pH meter, uh, showed. Right. Uh, so it was, it was there, always, it was always either it was could not read or fail safe. Right. Right. Okay. So that's, yeah. So that's not, 
you know, not, not too, not, not too bad. So there might, so like I said, there might be something there. Um, you get into some spots where um, it's around 4.2 in the, uh, with our pH meter. And then the pH strip shows that it's 4.5. So it says, Oh, you, you know, truthfully, it might be fine, but you're getting close to maybe where it's a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did have one, um, and I don't know, I can't see it on here really quickly, but we did have one that was over, uh, one product, a, uh, a pear preserve that was over 4.6. Ah, okay. By, by strip and meter. Yes. 4.8. Okay. Uh, pear preserve. Here it is. It's, it's marked it's in, red. in red. Yep. Yeah. 4.8 on and 4.73, um, on the, uh, on the pH meter. And, and so, in the rules of the state fair, we only look at pH, but what, you know, what you and I know about is that, um, and not just you and I, but lots of people in the food safety world is that pH and water activity, uh, combined with each other matter. Right. Right. So, so I this, don't know what's yeah. So this, so this product is not, not safe, uh, from a pH perspective, but obviously if it's got a ton of sugar in it, the water activity probably makes it safe. Exactly. Exactly. So, so anyway, that was, uh, yeah. So that's what we, uh, what we spent some time doing this year. No one, uh, no one has died yet. Uh, and which is, which is great. Well, come on. Gord Gord Downey just died, Ben. Oh, oh, Don. It's true, but it's not related to the state fair. Oh, okay. Uh, All right. So be more specific. Yeah. No one, no one has died from uh, tasting uh, foods at the state fair. Okay. And I, I think we're in a, a window outside of the you know, confidence where uh, we probably would have seen botulism in one of our judges by now. So oh, uh, we, we got to come back and talk about botulism. <clears throat> but anyway. Yeah, yeah, we do. We do. Uh, so uh, anyway, yeah, state fairs humming along. And, uh, and, and here we go. We have more, some more data. And I, I want to report one more thing. So we changed the rules. Uh, a few years ago to say, look, I don't care if your grandma, this is not what the rule says, but this is the flavor of the rule. <laughs> I don't, I don't care whether your grandma makes the best pickles ever. I need you to follow a recipe that comes from either so easy to preserve the national center for home food preservation. Um, uh, the USDA, uh, guides a home canning or the ball blue book. And if you don't, then we're not going to, uh, you, you can't be in our competition. So go, go somewhere else. Go, go put your wares in, in a different competition that doesn't have rules. And, uh, <laughs> I think it should say exactly that. It, it does. If you read between the lines, Don, that's exactly what it says. Okay. Um, but, uh, we, we disqualified, uh, in the first year that we made these changes rules, we, we didn't judge and I shouldn't say we didn't disqualify. We disqualified it. We, we did, we just didn't judge, right. uh, almost 200 entries right. this year, eight. Whoa. So prog- progress is being made. Yes. Yes. But now progress is- go ahead. Yeah. So, so what we, what we have here in, in a couple of, uh, of the incidences, uh, in our, in our spreadsheet is we've got noted recipe provided, uh, not a tested source. And that was like our quick data. And then I went and, um, on each one of these recipes that, that was provided, but didn't note specifically it came from one of those tested sources. We matched it up with the tested sources and tried to find a recipe that had the exact same ingredients with the same ratios. And, and lo and behold, many people who think that they are using some special recipe are actually using a recipe that someone copied from a tested recipe, uh, source. Oh, okay. Uh, but yeah. So now, 
Uh, all right. So if it says recipe provided not a tested source, then that's not in compliance. It is not in compliance with, with the rule, uh, which is tell us what your tested source is. But we allowed them to enter after we matched up what the recipe said. Um, so maybe it said six, six pounds of uh, of tomatoes and, you know, one onion diced and, and, uh, four cups of, of vinegar. And so we, we went into those recipes. So that's what they provided. They didn't say that that was from the ball blue book, but when I opened up the ball blue book and looked at red salsa that had, that was the recipe for red salsa in the ball blue book. Okay. So we, so we allowed them to participate. Got it. In the, in, yeah. And that's a lot of work for you though. A ton, Don. This is what I do for the people in North Carolina. This wow. is why. This is why when when I did writing when we had our writing buddies call yesterday, <laughs> I, I I reported to you that I did not meet my writing goal uh, over the last four weeks because uh, I was I I take this one seriously because I've been because well, I've talked about it so much, yeah. right? Like like, and I, I really do. I want to make sure that we that we put the work in and. Uh, and cause not cause we, we have the opportunity to do it, um, you know, because we have this partnership with the state fair, but well, it is, it, it's a ton of work. Well, and, and, you know, nothing, nothing could be finer, Ben, than, than an extension specialist in the state of North Carolina focusing on something like this. And, and my, <laughs> my, true. my excuse, uh, so it's the 150th, if you don't know, Ben, it's the 150th, uh, state oh, fair and, uh, it's right on the website there. Nothing could be finer. And it's the 150th, uh, state fair. And the graphic looks like it's from 1972. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we're taking a, a different, uh, a different look on the, the last 150 years, starting with the early 1970s. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, really, really Don, almost everything related to the North Carolina state <laughs> fair looks like 1972. <laughs> um, yep. Yep. Including um, the, the largest pumpkin I've ever seen, which was an NC state record of 1400 pounds. Uh, that's, that, uh, uh, when I took my kids, it was crazy. That's a big, that's a big pumpkin. Um, yeah. And my, and my, uh, my excuse, my writing buddy's excuse also, uh, was, was working on good, good extension work. And as you know, and as we've talked about, uh, I have been doing, um, some work with the CFP committee that's working on writing, uh, guidelines for mail order foods. And, uh, I am not the uh, chair or the co-chair. I am uh, nominally the self-appointed secretary, uh, because I understand go to webinar and I understand Microsoft Word and I understand track changes. And I also, I'm a bit pedantic about formatting and word choice. And so uh, I have to be very thankful that the um, uh, my colleagues on that committee are willing to let me kind of in, a, in sort of a, sort of a, 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 a what would Linda do um, kind of perspective, like just sort of take charge of this little piece of what we're doing, uh, which is basically writing the document and then listening and, and trying to be a good, a good, uh, committee member. But, but also, um, you know, I, I just, it's, it's good. It makes me, it keeps me, you know what it does, Ben, it keeps me from doing email when I'm on those, uh, on those conference calls because I'm actually the one typing and that's, uh, and I don't take oh, that. That's good. Yeah. I don't take that duty on lightly. And in, in many committees, I would rather be the guy, um, doing email in the background and half, half listening. Um, but in this case, it's 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 you know kind of like how you feel about uh, jams and jellies for the state fair. Uh, this is how I feel about um, mail order foods. Like this is my this is my contribution. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna step up and do this thing. Absolutely, and 
and, and it's good. It's not, I, I'm with you on on that. Uh, the CFP process is, and we've talked about um, it is uh, difficult. There's a lot of, and it's important to have the consensus. Um, but it, but that takes time. And, you know, my, my committee on employee food safety training, we haven't done a lot of writing, um, uh, per se, like a, in a document, but we, we will be presenting a matrix spreadsheet with, uh, multiple learning objectives and skills, uh, and abilities that employees, uh, you know, we, we believe that they, uh, need to, to have, um, all food employees. And, um, but the process to get to that, if you're not fully like locked in to it, um, it's it, it, like it's easy for it to to spin out of control. Um, and but I've, I've taken it the same way. I've, I flew to Chicago for a couple of days um, with, you know, not on not, not on grant funds, but on like salary release to spend two days r- writing this spreadsheet with a small group because I think it's important. Right. Like we this this is where um, we, we have some some expertise and and have it. There, there is nothing more uh, that I have value for on like this could go into some sort of a national standard. Right. Like this isn't just you and I coming up with best practices. Right. For like and then putting it on our extension website, the CFP process, you, you know, the document that you're talking about, the document that that we're, we're working on, um, if it gets somehow in in the code or part of the code or adjacent to the code, we've now like affected what everyone has to do. <laughs> that's I, that's, I aspire to be code adjacent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All my work. Uh, thank you. Thank you. All my work is going to be code adjacent. Oh, <laughs> uh, I gave speak, speaking speaking of code adjacent. I did have, I did give a very nice talk yesterday, um, if I do say so myself, as part of our science cafe series. And I talked about the five second rule and hand washing. And basically, it was a talk. I was in a place where. I was told that the, the slides would not show up very well, and, and the, indeed the person that advised me of that was correct. The slides would have been horrible, so I just talked uh, from uh, note cards, and it, I gave a, I thought, what I thought was a kind of an interesting uh, talk, and, and, did, and then afterwards had a real good conversation with the audience about you know, germs and cross-contamination and hand-washing and, and all of that, all that kind of good stuff, so that was a lot of fun. Awesome. That's cool. So, so and, That's cool. And, but, but, but again, which were, you know, and somebody asked me about the, you know, not about the food code, but about hand washing and hand sanitizers. And that gave me a chance to uh, rant about all the problems or many of the problems in the food code and, and my, you know, my standard rant about FDA cedar and their inability to realize that, uh, antibacterial, antibacterial soaps actually uh, do have a benefit, but you know, anyway, you're probably tired of hearing all that. So um, I'm I'm not. <laughs> but the, uh, oh, you're a good you're a good co-host. Uh, uh, so I have so we've got we got to go into into some listener feedback. Um, well, yeah. So and, I, but but first I want to talk about a consultation inquiry, Ben. Ooh 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 yes. I you know I when somebody sends me this is a little little hint here when somebody sends me an email with the header consultation inquiry or inquiry I'm gonna read it. And and this I, yeah. one, this one, Ben, was really exciting. Um, it says, hey, and then in a different font, my name, Don, uh, back to the same font. I recently stumbled across your podcast, different font, food safety talk, <laughs> back to the other. I think it is awesome. And right away, Ben, I am, I want to read more about this person who dropped my name in and, and the podcast name in a different font into this message. Um, uh 
you know, so this is from this person. Um, I think podcasters are the hardest working broadcasters today, putting in hours of planning and innovation to make a quality product. I don't know about you, Ben, Ben, um, or Ban, whatever your name is. Um, I, I, I don't think we put in hours of planning and innovation. I think we just kind of like cobble some stuff together <laughs> and just like. And just like and, talk and, and why, make and make a, make, a make a good enough podcast. Um, but here's something maybe you didn't know, Ben. Forty um, percent of podcasts that are not promoted fade away within a year. Now, oh, no. I, I don't know. I don't know if you've been keeping track, but we've been doing this for more than a year. And I don't think uh, we. I I kind of I did promote it at the end of my talk yesterday. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, which I've, I'm learning to do. Um, so I I guess we're sort of promoting it, but but I you know. Um, uh, I, I think Ben. I think it's better to burn out than to fade away. I, absolutely, and um, I, I look at this uh, message and think, well, we've we've dodged a bullet for the last five years. This might be our year to fade away. <laughs> the best way, the best way, Ben, to promote is to get social proof. I've never heard of huh. that. Social proof by appearing in the media, and I believe that your expertise in, and this is interesting, the D is in the font of the rest of the message. And now uh, yet another font, diet and nutrition would be an an effective topic for gaining publicity. I don't know if you – Ben, we have a a best-selling podcast that hasn't faded away about diet and nutrition, and we could use that to get publicity. You probably didn't realize that there are thousands of TV, radio shows, and magazine articles and blogs that are looking for people just like you and me, Ben, to provide content for them. Did you know that? I I didn't didn't realize that. (laughs) Not only did I not probably realize that, I didn't. Um, yep. So anyway, we're, yeah. we are we're we are not interested um, in a twenty minute PR consultation with uh, your boss. Oh, uh, oh, uh, oh no no no, Don. Don <laughs> oh, you are. You are. You. I am because the the piece that you have uh, have, have not yet said <laughs> is that it's a twenty minute PR consultation with uh, Christie's boss, Dave Farrow, who is Guinness record holder for the greatest memory. Oh my gosh! And he's a popular PR guru. Yeah, I don't care about that. <laughs> I, really, I only want to know about the Guinness record holder for the greatest memory. He, he is that. If you, if you read down further, uh, you'll see he, Ben. He is a two-time Guinness record holder for greatest memory, and and that his company provides a unique brain-based approach to each client's branding and recognition. He's a media insider with the experience of more than two thousand interviews on nearly every major net, worldwide network. Oh wow. Well, anyway, you you can follow up with Christy, what but time? I I am yeah. Not what time to. are you available? <laughs> Never. <laughs> uh, so I didn't know what social proof was either. Uh, oh, but it's according a thing. To Wikipedia, it's a thing. It's a thing. It's a psychological and social phenomenon where people assume the actions of others and attempt to reflect correct behavior in a given situation. So I guess huh. it means people are gonna. Do food safety? I don't. I don't understand. I don't know. This so. is this. Uh, huh? Social proof is considered prominent in ambiguous social situations where people are unable to determine the appropriate mode of behavior. It's driven by the assumption that the surrounding people possess more knowledge about the current situation. I don't know. Oh, herd behavior. Well, okay. All right. It was peer pressure. How about? So this is what – here's what – if you scroll down a little bit, mm. social proof has been proposed in a, as an explanation for copycat suicides. Uh, we don't want anything to do with social proof, Don. No. 
I don't think so. Oof. All right. Well, Gee whiz. so thanks, well, that's a concern. It sure did. Oh man. All right. Well, looking forward to uh, never talking to Pharaoh PR and Christy. Oh, but, uh, you, but, it was but nice. you know, but you know who I would like to talk about. Oh, who, who? Oh, uh, I, I know. But we can't talk about them, Don. Oh, no, 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 no. This is somebody we can talk about. Okay. This is uh, this is our resident food safety talk homebrew consultant. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, good, good, good. So, I was, yes. So, so this, uh, so, so, and we can also talk about Chris. So Chris is a podcast listener. Uh, Chris says, uh, please share all details freely. Um, he says, uh, hello, Dr. Don and Dr. Ben. So right away, you know, he's up there, right? Cause he's addressing us in an informal way, but also acknowledging our titles. So, so good job, Chris. Um, just started listening to the podcast. Great show. So see already. And you know what? The other thing about Chris's email, Ben, is he uses the same font <laughs> throughout the yeah, entire yeah. email. Yeah. So confusing. <clears throat> um, actually, actually, he sent us feedback through the website. So uh, that's why it's all the same font. But anyway, thanks. Thanks, Chris, uh, for using the website. Um, uh, not sure if this has been covered before. I just got into home brewing. Is there potential for anaerobic pathogen growth when using certain ingredients, honey, ginger, et cetera? Appreciate any feedback. Thanks. A great message, Chris. I th- I want to I want to talk to you about your use of hyphens, though. I think uh, I don't think you're using hyphens correctly, but <laughs> we'll yeah, we'll, but pass, we'll, do, we'll, we'll pass on that. Um, so I uh, I emailed because I, I don't know about you, Ben. I mean, you know about beer. I'm more mm. of a wine guy myself. Um, but I have I, and that last time I made beer um, was as an undergraduate in uh, fermentations class um, at Cornell, and the beer turned out pretty bad. Um, have Have you ever made beer at home, Ben? No. Okay. No, I've I've never made beer. I've I've uh, I've had consumed some ho- poorly made home brew beer. Uh, and, and decided that I, I did not even want to try. I, I prefer to purchase my beer. Yeah. So, so anyway, so I, I reached out to my uh, consulting partner and podcast listener and general all-around cool person, uh, Caitlin, um, and I said, hey, um, y- you are a beer expert. I mean, because I know because she's, she does do her own homebrew beer Brewing, I think that's the technical term, and also, yeah. best of all, her dog's name is Porter. So, I mean, you know, you know, she's into beer, she right? When, someone, when yeah. someone's dog is named Porter, you know they're into yeah. beer. So, um, so I said, hey, what do you think, right? Uh, because I mean, you know, she's she's smart, smart lady. So, uh, and she says, uh, here's here's her long-winded answer, which I will read mostly read uh, in in full. Um, Home brewing is very low risk uh, uh, with respect to pathogen growth, uh, even for anaerobic pathogens. The high risk – I love this. That she, she thinks like an, she's an engineer. She thinks like an engineer. The high risk part of the process is between the boil and before the fermentation gets started and you know, makes perfect sense microbiologically, right? Um, yep. Yep. Going into the fermenter, the beer should be around pH 5, and it will drop to below 4.6 very soon after fermenting. Uh, she's not sure about the time drop, but but again, as you know, Ben, uh, once it, the pH gets below 4.6, you're going to control for for CBOT. Um, this uh, this consideration is one of the biggest reasons why fermentations should be watched within the first couple of days, because if they do not take off quickly enough, then CBOT and other pathogens and maybe even spoilage organisms um, can be a concern. And I think that's honestly that's what happened in the the beer that I made as an undergrad. Uh, I don't think we were too careful with the sanitation. And I don't think we got that uh, initial pH drop. Um, 
Okay, the fermentation process allows for uh, the good bacteria you pitch. That's a, that's a beer term, Ben. You pitch to yeah. outcompete most of the bad ones that might be found on adjuncts. Adjuncts being uh, things like honey and, and ginger. Um, this is why most brewers tend to add adjuncts into the secondary fermentation when the beer has a chance to become, in air quotes, from uh, contamination proof. Um, and again, not really contamination proof, but definitely lower risk because, you know, fermentation's going, pH has dropped. Um, uh, she also writes, <clears throat> I think some lactobacillus bacteria are introduced for sour beers, uh, but like other lacto ferments, the pH drop controls anything that would be harmful. Um, and then, because she's an awesome um, uh, uh, person from the internet, if you have been, if you tune out that long-winded answer. He's, here is the uh, TLDR answer. Beer is relatively low risk uh, because of pH, alcohol, microbial competition, and the anaerobic environment. Always pitch healthy yeast. Dump any brew that doesn't ferment right away. Boom. There nice job. Yeah. Nice job, Caitlin, the resident uh, homebrewing consultant for Food Safety Talk. Thank you, Caitlin. That was, that was awesome. And it is a question that um, that I have thought about before and never thought to ask Caitlin about. Um, <laughs> so I'm glad that Chris uh, asked it. And um, I know, uh, I don't know if she's, she's friend, friend in, in real life in the food safety world. I'm not sure if she's friend of the pod cast. Uh, uh, Tatiana Lorca. Do you know, do you know Tatiana at all, Don? I know the name. So she she uh, Tatiana works for Ecolab. Oh, and is oh, a, I know, of uh, course, like Tatiana. You should have just said yeah. Tatiana from Ecolab. I know Tatiana, oh, Tatiana from, from Ecolab. Ecolab. Yeah. Okay. So Tatiana um, is uh, she? We're friends on Facebook, and she's constantly posting pictures of doing FISMA related and and food safety things at brewer conferences now, uh, because there is a you know like a not, it's not a, a high risk product, but uh, there are it, there are some crossovers into. Uh, into food safety as it relates to, um, you know, GMPs and stuff. So, so she's the, she's the other person that I think about every time someone asks about like brewing food safety. And I've never asked her this question. And this is, you know, I have to give props to Ecolab for this. So a lot of corporate um, websites don't do a good job of like revealing their people to the outside right. world. And if you Google Tatiana Ecolab, you find her page and it's on a page with uh, people like Scott Burnett, Tom Ford, John Hanlon, Ruth Petran, Anna Starbin. Like these are all people that we know from the food safety world and, and Ecolab props to you guys for putting your experts out there. I mean, that's uh, I, I, that's a great thing. I mean, I, I'm it, it, really, I'm really impressed with Ecolab for doing that. <clears throat> and these are our, these are our people. This, yeah. this is like say uh, to who's who people that we've talked about on the podcast. <laughs> yes, exactly. Nice. Uh, I didn't I didn't even know this. This is cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, she uh, Tatiana Lorca, PhD, Senior Manager, Food Safety Education and Training, Food and Beverage. There you go. It's right there in the name, Beverage. <laughs> it's right there. Cool. Um, so there's another piece of listener feedback, Don, but it says, I, let me, let's just break all the rules. Okay. So, and this is not, this is not something that we're going to break the rules for other listeners. So don't think that this is a precedent we have, uh, on our square, square space, um, submission form. There's a couple things you check. One is, um, you know, would, could we use your name? Could we reveal the message on air? And this one, the privacy was checked. Don't reveal my name or message content on the air. Wait, Ben, Except are you about to, are you about to reveal the message content on the air? 
I am about to reveal the message content in the air because someone in the message content said, we'd really like you to mention this on the air. <laughs> I'm, I'm confused, Ben. Oh, all right. So here it is. Uh, I hope this week I'm not, I'm not going to, uh, mention, uh, uh we'll keep this anonymous message. Okay. Hi there, comma. I think they might've forgot to say Don and Ben. Um, I hope this week is treating you well, exclamation mark. I am a terrible cook and hate figuring out what to eat, period. Needless to say, I was excited to come across your post, our post, huh, of post. Food Safety Talk 130. This outbreak is brought you brought to you by the letter T. I loved hearing the feedback people had on meal delivery services. Dawn, by the, by the people, does she mean, or this individual mean us? Are we the people? Did other people have feedback? I'm not sure. I think I, it's us. Let me let me look up uh, Food Safety Talk episode 130. Uh, this outbreak brought to you the letter, by the letter T, and and see see if we had any 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 feedback um, from people. Well, after reading, I thought I I thought to reach out to you. I actually work with a small research team uh, that recently had a slew of different meal delivery boxes dropped off at our office. That's not the way to do it. Um, <laughs> we whipped up. <laughs> Nearly 50. You're supposed to have them delivered to your house. Uh, mm. We whipped up nearly 50 meals on our quest to find the services offering the most interesting, healthiest, and tastiest dishes while still being feasible for the novice chef. Since you mentioned meal delivery services, I thought you might be interested in our findings too. Would you be opening to mentioning our resource on your site? I look forward to hearing from you, and thanks again. I really enjoyed your post. Huh. Well, so, so, so episode 130 uh, was a, spe- a special episode. A, a special episode. I don't know if you remember this, Ben. It was recorded live at IAFP 2017, and we chatted with uh, Dr. Freeze and Pops. Pops. And we probably didn't mention anything about uh, meal delivery services like Blue Apron. Well, we, we, in, in, the, in the post, Ben, Show in the post, it says oh, the post. Uh, they cover some of their favorite moments of the conference as well as listener feedback on meal delivery services, vacuum ah, packaging and freezing. So, so apparently, a um, uh, person whose name you don't want us to reveal, um, you, did, uh, you did actually uh, read the show notes. <clears throat> I, I don't think you understand well, that we have a podcast, but it's okay. Do you think that they read the show notes or do you think that they scraped the show notes and and said, oh, meal delivery services, let's like let let's have our bot fill out this uh, form? I I don't know. I think the Russians. Yeah, I think the Russians did it. I think it's part of the four handshake and Wi-Fi four handshake problems. Uh, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Uh, it's a lot right. of handshakes there. Oh, tons, tons, all the handshakes all the way down. Uh, I used, I used all the way down in, in uh, real life yesterday and no one got it. No one. Oh, uh, so sad. Um, so should we, so, should we link to, uh, their post? Oh, why not? I, I think it's, you know, it's, it's, somebody might find it useful. Um, they did. And nominally look at, you know, different services and people might find it useful. So anyway. True, 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 true. Um, okay, well, we'll, we'll link to that. Uh, so, Don, I, as always, as I'm looking at the food safety uh, talk Dropbox uh, folder and, and looking at some of the fun things that you've put in, in here. Um, <laughs> I, I wanna, I, before we, before we yeah. get into that, I want to have a brief digression. I just in, – in all – 
seriousness, in the highest possible terms, I want to recommend the TV movie from 2010, Temple Grandin. We watched this on TV last night. I had never seen it before. Oh, my God. This is... If you have not seen this, find it and watch it. It's... It's just, it, I, I was riveted. I absolutely was riveted. I enjoyed it incredibly. Um, um, Claire Danes, I think, just really nails Temple Grandin. Um, it's, you know, if you've, if you've ever, if you know who Temple Grandin is, if you're familiar with her work, um, uh, if you've ever heard her speak, um, uh, Claire Danes really, I think, gets, gets the vocal affect and her way of talking. It's just, I mean, just, I, it's just, I, I can't say enough good things about it. This was just really a, an incredible movie. Cool. Well, I, th- this was one of the ones that I wanted to ask you about. Um, and so I'm going to, I'm going to break some news right now. Uh, Temple, Temple Grandin's coming to NC state to my department to, uh, to speak in, in, uh, April this year. And we, we, uh, will, this is part of a, um, uh, a, uh, endowed, um, uh, speaking series, uh, from, uh, a, a former, um, uh, person in family consumer science, Eloise Kofer. And so a couple of years ago, we brought Vivian Howard uh, from A Chef's Life and um, Chef and the Farmer to uh, NC State. And, and she spent a, a day with our faculty uh, talking about food and family and culture. And, and you know, and we, we sort of had this great dialogue and conversation about things that we can do in extension and in teaching and, and research. Uh, and then in Temple will be joining us uh, in a very much similar uh, way. And um, I'm, my department uh, is the department of agricultural and human sciences. And so um, uh, other individuals in my department look at things like youth development and um, families. And, and so um, Temple will be speaking about, um, families with autism, and she mm. she has a, a new book out uh, about that, but obviously has this you know rooted history in agriculture and animal production, and so I'm really excited. Um, I have not I've not seen um, the movie, uh, and and Danny watched. It. I think it was on Showtime or HBO or or something, um, and she watched it when it when it came out, and we're going to uh, I'm going to watch it with the kids at some point. Uh, before Temple Grandin comes, because I'd, I'd like them to come uh, see her speak as well. So, so we. I, but I. Pre- that's good. I'm glad. It. I'm glad that it. It's that that it was so great that you that you wanted to tell me about it today. Yeah, and it's like the, I mean, it's the best movie I've seen in a long, long time. I mean, really, just I mean, I learned stuff. Um, it's yeah, and again, it's it's a it's kind of a. <clears throat> It's an intersection with our world, right? Because she's in an animal science department, actually, a uh, friend, friend of the uh, – in real life and perhaps friend of the pod uh, cast. Larry Goodrich was in her department at co- – and, and, right. and our, our friend and colleague uh, uh, John Sophos is in her department at uh, Colorado State University. And so, um, yeah, she – and it's just it's, – anyway, just uh, watch it with your kids. Watch it by yourself. Um, just you need to watch it. And, and I'm very – I'm, I'm envious that she, uh, she is coming. Um, uh, to North Carolina in April. Uh, she's, I just, you know, just, just the, the movie blew me away. I'm so impressed with everything that she's done in her life. Uh, just really, really cool stuff. Awesome. Awesome. Um, okay. Now we can go make fun of stuff, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, well now we can make, yeah, well let's talk. All right. So 
I want to talk to you about um, spraying uh, poop all over uh, Harris Teeter grocery stores. Uh, okay. <laughs> all right. So, Dateline. Uh, Charleston, yeah, South Carolina. Authorities say a man sprayed a foul-smelling brown liquid on produce at a grocery store in South Carolina, telling police that the store owed him money. Charleston police spokesman Charles Francis said 41-year-old Pow Hang was arrested Sunday afternoon at a Harris Teeter. A police report says the manager called 911 after seeing Hang in the store. The former contractor was ordered to stay out two years ago. Police say that... Uh, police say the manager saw Hang empty a bottle with a brown liquid and bad odor like feces on the produce. He estimated it would cost at least $3,000 to throw away the produce and clean the cases. Investigators are testing the substance. Hang is charged with damage to personal property and trespassing after notice. Uh, and, uh, you know, no jail records do not list a lawyer. Um, oh, man, this is uh, this is not a good this is not a good thing. Who knows whether it's poop or not? I, but at this point, you gotta gotta assume that it's it's poop. It's it's someone's feces or some animal's feces that this that this guy is spraying all over the produce department. And three thousand dollars seems really cheap to me for like. And maybe and this is not being there obviously for the um, for the event. But if someone is walking up and up and down my produce aisles and just spraying poop all over the place, um, there's a lot of product in a Harris Teeter produce uh, area. And how far is it sprayed? Is it stuff that we see? Can we, you know, can we smell it? Uh, and then as, you know, as mentioned by the, uh, the manager, just the cleaning and sanitation that happens afterwards, um, you know, all that product's going to come out of there. And then I, I, you know, if I'm running that store, I have to do a whole bunch of damage control on making sure that that poop didn't, isn't, isn't staying behind once I remove the products. Ugh. Yeah, well, and it says uh, he sprayed a foul-smelling liquid, but then later uh, police say the manager saw Hang empty a bottle with a brown liquid. Um, so I'm I'm really like, was he was he doing this like overtly? Was he trying to do it covertly? Um, yeah, it, the the story doesn't quite add. And obviously, there's some history here between this guy and the store. Um, but yeah, somebody uh, somebody tweeted this at us and said, "What are your thoughts?" And my thoughts were like. I don't know. Don't do this. I mean, obviously this, this, this guy is, uh, maybe, uh, you know, uh, disturbed in some way, mentally disturbed in some way. Um, and, uh, but people shouldn't do this. And yeah. And I, and I guess, I mean, you know, from, to make it kind of practical, if you are a supermarket or you are a food safety person who works in a supermarket, um, you know, if you don't have this a plan already, you should have a plan for how to deal with a, a deliberate uh, contamination event like this, right? And you need to, uh, yeah, you need to figure out how to get rid of all the produce that's in the store, and then you need to uh, basically uh, clean and sanitize. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just sent you another link uh, to um, the Charleston City paper, um, and uh, some some more you know interesting news here. Uh, the city paper art director uh, uh, Scott Succi was happened to be at the Harris Teeter, and so he reported that he walked into the grocery store just as staff were frantically throwing produce out. "Quote: They even cleared out all the pre-made deli food. I knew it was really bad when I was in line at the register, and someone asked what's going on, and the clerk said, "I'm not allowed to say." Uh, so, and I, I mean, truthfully, props to, to Harris Teeter. I, I know the many of the good food safety people uh, at Harris Teeter, um, and uh, it, you know they they put out a, a, a 
a message. Uh, food safety and quality are paramount to Harris Teeter. We're extremely alarmed and disappointed to learn that yesterday a disgruntled former contractor attempted to contaminate food products in the produce department, fresh foods department, inside our St. Andrews shopping center location. Our valued associates immediately took action, closing down affected departments, notifying appropriate team members. Additionally, our associates properly discarded any and all product that was exposed to contamination as well as thoroughly clean and sanitized affected areas. Um, so yeah, sucks, sucks for Harris Teeter. Um, but good job, not, you know, good job, not just selling poop contaminated food or potentially poop contaminated food. Yeah. Well, and you know, the rule of the internet is never, uh, never read the comments. Um, but of course oh, I have read the comments. So. Um, uh, what a sick person needs to be locked up for a long time in a mental institution. Uh, no, no, John, uh, that is not what he needs. He needs treatment. He needs medication. Um, yes, he shouldn't be able to hurt uh, himself or other people, but but the solution to things like this is not to, quote, lock people up for a long time in a mental institution. Um, <sighs> it's treatment. Uh, so anyway... <clears throat> Uh, yeah, so this I feel I feel for Harris Teeter. I feel bad for this guy. Obviously, he has some issues, and uh, he does he does need uh, he does need treatment. So, oh man, yep, yeah, that sucks. Um, so uh, <laughs> I love the lead though. <laughs> Talk about a crappy day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so Charleston City Papers turned out to be uh, one of one of my favorite reads. Now that I don't I don't even live there. It was. <laughs> Have you turned the news? It says early on. Uh, yes. Uh, oh, uh, yes. Uh, disgruntled contractors, former uh, shitstorm. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Have, have you turned the news? Uh, and it's this is in the dining out, drinking up, and eating local section of the uh, uh, of the paper. Um, so uh, you know, there's we we talk about intentional contamination uh, events every once in a while in in food safety classes or as you're sort of preparing a food safety plan and um you know there aren't too many examples of this there was uh i think in michigan a few years ago there was a an, a former employee or someone who was about to get fired put some uh pesticide in in uh ground beef in the meat section and a bunch of people got sick and and it is it is somewhat i mean it's somewhat surprising that we don't have more of this happening um, from disgruntled employees, right? Like it's there's a, a, a sort of immediate payoff um, for somebody who's who's trying to cause a disturbance and, and cost a company a bunch of money um, because you know food's relatively unprotected in lots of different yeah. You know, there's cameras and stuff, but covertly or or somewhat covertly adding uh, contamination to foods like this and, and making people sick is could you know it's not. It's not like it would be difficult to do um, on this small scale. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. And we do talk about um, uh, terrorist uh, terrorist events uh, famously in Oregon, the Sri Ranjish cult uh, attempted to influence an election by uh, spraying salmonella on salad bars. Uh, they used a salmonella that uh, was a hospital isolate because one of the members of the cult was was uh, employed at the hospital. Um, also, um, and this will this will segue into the next thing that I want to talk about, um, which was which is kind of interesting. Uh, when uh, back when I when I uh, was first I think talking with Merlin about inviting him to Merlin Mann to uh, invite him to Rutgers University to speak, we were talking. I was doing a lot of work then with uh, National Center for Food Protection and Defense on bioterrorism, and. Um, uh, 
Merlin was telling me, oh, yeah, like, uh, uh, wasn't there a, a botulism outbreak in an arena um, uh, that turned out to be deliberate? And then he thought for a minute, he said, no, 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 wait, that was just an episode of Quincy Medical Examiner, uh, which uh, we <laughs> talked about and which came up at our recent uh, visit to Minnesota. But uh, And then somebody said, no, no, that was an episode of Chips. Well, it turns out there was an episode of Quincy and an episode of Chips. And then I just discovered recently, Ben, uh, there was an episode of uh, of, of Emergency, the television show Emergency from 1972, also featuring botulism, which I watched last night and which I texted you uh, screen pictures of the screen. And so uh, we will link to uh, the IMDb page uh, for this episode. Uh, But uh, spoiler alert, it was apparently the home canned mushrooms uh, that uh, this person used in uh, a recipe of uh, beef bolognese that uh, made a bunch of people sick at a uh, potluck uh, in in the neighborhood. And so um, mostly, mostly got things right um, uh, in terms of botulism, although they did mention that uh, people had sore throat, which I believe is not a symptom of botulism. People do, ha- do have reported difficulty swallowing, but I don't think that's the same thing as a sore throat. And um, uh, just because it's television, uh, of course, they couldn't show the health department doing an investigation. Uh, they showed uh, the doctors on the uh, emergency television show uh, actually figuring out uh, that it was botulism and actually sort of doing the investigation. Doing the investigation, so it was a little, a little bit uh, contrived for television. But uh, anyway, back in 1972, there was an episode uh, of Emergency which uh, featured uh, botulism and, and mostly got the science details right. So, yay! Don, I, you know what? So, all right, we talked about this in our last uh, uh, podcast after our experience in Minnesota, mm. uh, where we did a live podcast. What I'm, what I'd like to do now, if we go on the road <laughs> and do a show, is we're going to screen episodes of old TV shows with food safety in it. These, this problem emergency show, the chips episode, uh, the Quincy MD show, all of that, like we'll have a screening party and then we'll do a, we'll do a podcast or a, or a Q and a afterwards. These aren't our shows and we'll somehow I'm sure violate all the copyright laws on how to do this, but that's what I want to do. That's, that's where we're going, Don. We're going to get people to talk about food safety by watching 1970s and 1980s TV shows. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> it's uh, you can't talk me out of it, Don. Okay, all right, I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. It's ha- it's happening. It's happening. Um, okay, so continuing on the botulism uh, trail, um, you I don't know where you found this, and I want to I want to know the the history on this, but you you put a um, a link uh, or at least a. Uh, a document on a discussion with CEO Mike Brown of Death Wish Coffee uh, around the coffee recall, and it was uh, an interview he did. Where, where did? How did you come across this? Where did this come from? I don't remember. Um, it's awesome. Yeah, so I don't. Awesome. I don't remember. It was um, probably the internet, <laughs> but uh, obviously it's a web page. But I really, I really don't remember. And it, I don't, I don't think it was from a friend of the pod, uh, English professor, um, uh, person. So yeah, I don't know. Beth. Beth. Yes, Beth. Um, okay, so so I'm going to read some of this. So we we spoke in the last episode about uh, Death Wish Coffee. And that they're making a low acid canned food and recall, recalled their products. And I want to give you some highlights from this transcript. So um, this is uh, 
um, with a, uh, you know, uh, the, the interviewer is a guy named Brendan and Mike is the CEO. So Brendan says, jumping back into where, where, where we left off, I mentioned you guys you just had a recent recall for your nitro cans. How long have you been doing nitro coffee and nitro cans? And so he goes, uh, you know, Mike answers and said, yeah, that was a bummer. And then they both laughed. Um, we've been working on it while well, this is our second year. We worked on it all last year and we we're trying to find the best process. I'm sure your listeners have done this too. You try about a hundred different ways to brew, uh, this cold brew to get it to be the strongest. We actually started working with the local brewery. So they did a lot of, you know, fermentation, blah, 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 blah. Um, and you know, they, he goes down to say, um, I started putting this product together in the beginning of last year. Um, we took it out or we sent it out to a bunch of places to get tested by different labs. We worked mostly with Cornell. Basically, we wanted to make sure the product was safe first and foremost. We have them tested for bacteria, mold, and a hundred other things. I can't remember the name. Um, basically, just tested to make sure there's nothing growing. There's no toxins in there that's going to make anybody sick. We've been doing it for a long while. It was coming back very clean, great product, nothing dangerous. Uh, because of that, we decided to do a release in February. This, uh, and Don, I'm going to step out of reading this transcript because mm. it's starting to read like like a presidential transcript. Oh my god! Uh, I was just thinking the same thing. <laughs> very clean, big, very big, clean, great big, product. Big league, big league coffee. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, he goes down and says they did some shelf life study, and um, you know, then uh, this is where things get, uh, I think, fancy. At around, they did a shelf life study around 15th or 16th week. We get an email from Cornell telling us they have another scientist that took a look at our product once he noticed that we used nitrogen in our product. He didn't like that. The reason was because apparently there's a heat-resistant mold spore that can and does thrive under low oxygen conditions at certain temperatures. And I was like, all right. Um, and then Brendan says, interesting. Mike says, yes. We asked him what he recommended. He said, well, you should probably recall. Just try to do a recall, get this back. It could cause unintelligible. And I think that that word is botulism. botulism. That comes from the heat resistant mold spores, Ben. <laughs> We're like, okay, well, that's extreme. So is botulism. Uh, but I'll take that seriously. I took all the product off my shelf and I reached out to another scientist who gave me very similar advice. I, at that point, reached out to my retail partners. I notified them that they should take it off the shelf until I find out more information. Once they took off the shelves, I actually notified FDA because I wanted to let them know what I was doing. They recommended I do a recall as well and they're going to get me th uh, through it and we just recalled them all. Um, or recalled them off. Um, it was totally a proactive recall on your part, says Brennan. Mike, yes, nobody was injured. Nobody I heard on uh, crosstalk. You acted uh, at the end of it. Mike, I never found any toxins or bacteria in my coffee. And here's my favorite part, Don. I'm not a scientist. I don't pretend to be one. I feel like I've learned a lot about the process since I've been talking with those scientists, the FDA, and the additional food scientists that have reached out to me in the meantime. The problem they saw with the procedure was that after we had canned the product we used, we dosed it with nitrogen. We didn't have a widget. The widget, Don, would have saved all the botulism. We had a nitrogen doser, and after that was done, we put it through a lime pasteurizer, which they didn't like. They said that might make it worse. Uh, even though it puts the product under heat because it doesn't kill the heat-resistant mold spores. If the product wasn't kept under 41 degrees, if there was a break in the cold chain because the coffee is low-acid beverage, it can develop an environment conducive for the unintelligible. And again, I'll, I'll say botulism. <laughs> I don't know. I have to agree with them because, like I said, I'm not a food scientist. They never showed up in any of my tests. Oh, Don, I, well, I get that people aren't food scientists. 
why can't they just surround themselves with food scientists when they're making food products to make sure that they do this right? And I and I I say that and it sounds like there's a little more to the story than what we talked about last time where he was working with someone who was helping with with testing. But probably what what happened is, hey, can you test my product for, you know, spoilage? Right. And then Right. That's what a, that's what a shelf life test is. Right. Like how long will this last um, before it spoils? Right. And and then that person who's testing it for spoilage is like, wait a second, hang on, this might be a low acid canned food. And turns out it it is. And then gets passed on. And then but this but, you know, Mike, who sounds like a lovely guy, um, you, you know, I guess. I, I could see being frustrated with this process, but also this is your problem. This is your product. You should know this stuff like you or or figure this out before the products on the shelf. Like like you don't have to know everything about the science of your product, although you probably should. This shouldn't have been news to you, but at least get someone to tell you about what the concerns might be, not just, hey, how long does it stay on the shelf for? And and so props to to the good folks at Cornell who who alerted them to this uh, issue and and not props to to Mike, who kind of sounds like a jerk uh, in this as I read this transcript. So, yeah, yeah well, uh, yeah. And, and clearly not. Uh, he's not a food scientist, Ben. Um, he's not even not even close. Um, yeah. You know, and this is you know, this is a common thing that we talk about on the podcast is people that want to get into the food business. And it turns out, Ben, it's actually kind of complicated. And you do have to pay attention to things like pH and um, heat-resistant mold spores or or botulism, right? And and it's it, you need to get smart people. And, and even if he doesn't understand this stuff, if you're making a food that you're going to sell, like that's a, that's a, a shelf stable food. Like if you're, if you're making food and you're not a restaurant, right, you should have a food scientist on your staff. And ideally you should have a food safety person on your staff because it's really, it's really important. But yeah, I mean this, this, if you, to get this, this article, this interview is actually really good insight into the mind of somebody who is not a food microbiologist because he doesn't, he doesn't understand that just because he did a lot of testing that th- th- and didn't find right. any problems that he doesn't understand why it's a risk well it's a risk because botulism spores come uh, uh up on a very infrequent basis and if and and if you're testing if you're doing total aerobic plate count which would be a typical test that you would do to determine shelf life you're not going to see clostridium botulinum um cells show up on that why because it's an anaerobic organism and you'd have to culture you have to specifically try to culture it in a certain way um and even if you tested for bot toxin, you wouldn't find it um, necessarily because it wouldn't be there unless you deliberately inoculated it into the product. So, um, yeah, and he thinks it's an easy fix because uh, instead of pasteurizing it, they're going to retort it. Um, uh, He read apparently that a retort system uh, puts the product under pressure and heat for a longer or intense period of time, uh, which will not only pasteurize, but will sterilize the product, killing any heat resistant anything. Like toxins. Um, yeah, and that's just – it's just not – it's sort of right. You can kind of tell um, – oh, he's been pricing out retort systems. They're expensive. Um, yeah, yeah, they're expensive. Um, uh. Yeah, my 
So the, the last piece that I want to end on here is he says, um, we're going to get these re these retort systems. Like I said, they're not cheap. There's a waiting list to get these right now. The quickest one I can get is early next year. If I could get it sooner, I would. Then there's this whole, I'm going to be a little safer than I already was this time. And I'm going to bring some actual food scientists to verify this whole procedure before moving ahead with anything. That's the lesson I learned here. That's a good lesson. Good. That's a good lesson. That everyone, is... everyone who wants to make food should learn that lesson. Bring in the food scientists up front before you spend a lot of money and time or before you make somebody sick. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right, right. Um, so, uh, anyway, it's, it, 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 I agree with you. This it was a fa it's a fascinating read to to see this transcript. Uh, to as you said, just to get the um, insight into someone's mind as they're going through this. And and this is not unique, right? Like anybody who's working with the industry should read this transcript. We'll link to it in, in show notes um, because it, you you won't go very far in a week talking to small businesses to have a very similar conversation. Yeah. Um, yep. and, so. and in fact, I think I think I might have learned about it from um, um, Mike uh, Brown uh, uh, DWC because I started following him uh, oh. on, on Twitter uh, when this whole thing uh, with uh, uh, Cornell first uh, came to light. So, well, awesome, excellent. Um, so, and I, we have to. I have so, to say, I mean, the guy the guy sounds like a bozo, but it does sound like he's also kind of trying to do the right thing. Like he did. He's he's a little bit brotastic, right? Um, but yes. he is. But he is. Um, he, he at least like the thing that that irks me still about Chipotle is these guys just didn't learn. This guy is a little bit um, annoying, but at least it sounds like he's learned his lesson, right? Like he understands that. Um, although it's called Death Wish Coffee, he really doesn't want to kill people. <laughs> so that's yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We'll we'll take that. We'll take that as a as a move. Yeah, yeah. as a move to, towards the positive. Yep. Um. So, where where else do you want to go, Don? Oh gosh, Ben, I don't know. Um. Uh, <laughs> there's just so much, so much we could talk about. Um. Uh, fears are growing in Sweden, Ben, over packs of radioactive wild boar moving north, ravaging forests and farmland. Uh, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of that. Watch out for the radioactive wild boar. Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know. Again, this is another thing that uh, I don't know where I, I uh, uh, saw it, but um, yeah. So apparently, um, uh, the radio. This is so. These are these are Chernobyl boars, right? So. Uh, one animal shot by hunters had more than 10 times the level of safe radiation um, uh, said to have been caused by the, a cloud of radioactive dust that blew in uh, after the Chernobyl disaster 31 years ago. It deposited uh, cesium-137 in the ground. Um, and so this is, um, yeah, I, uh, my motto, Ben, is I don't eat boar, um, period. No. I, I will eat pig that were that have been raised in captivity but like there's a there's an awesome restaurant which i in new brunswick which i have to take you to it's called destination dogs it's a it's a bar and restaurant and um 
they have all kinds of hot dogs. And I go there uh, on a regular basis with my former graduate student um, and I think friend of the pod uh, cast, Dane Jensen, uh, and we get uh, beers and drinks and, and all kinds of hot dogs. And there's a couple of kind of weird hot dogs on their menu, including hot dogs made from wild boar. And I don't ever get the wild boar, and this is a reason why. Because I just don't, I don't trust it. Could have trachina, could, could apparently have radioactivity. So there you go. I, absolutely. Yeah. And who, who knows? I, uh, I'm not a, I, I'm not like a boar fan. I've had it once and I've, I've found it gamey and maybe that's, yeah. I mean, that's the, the goal, right? It's a little more, uh, I don't know, different type of flavor, uh, than, than pork, but yeah, it's, it's just not my thing. You know, you know what kind of a boar I am a fan of Ben? Uh, no, no, I don't. Niels Bohr, physicist. Oh, Niels Bohr. Oh, nice. That's a science joke, Ben. <laughs> nicely done. Nicely done. Um, I don't, I don't have any response to that. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, out, I'm out. I can't figure out what to say next. Um, Hey, uh, I just sent you a link. Yeah. A bunch of people got sick, uh, from, uh, chili cook off in, uh, Virginia. Tell so, me about it, Ben. Well, let's, uh, let's see. Let's see here. So I uh, let's the, 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 do, 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 there were 2,500 attendees from multiple state that were present at this uh, cook-off, and it was a bunch of uh, people who tasted uh, some homemade uh, chili, and uh, they're expecting that there's maybe a couple hundred people that got sick, and it is. Uh, uh, I think it's they're not sure what the pathogen is yet. I'm gonna bet on perfringens. I bet it is too. Uh, oh, why? Oh, important, uh, important news update. Um, uh, I had some of that. Um, <laughs> you may remember on the last podcast, I think we talked about uh, a possible perfringens outbreak in the Schaffner ho- household, uh, or at least we talked oh, yes. about slow cooling of uh, of chili uh, of uh, uh, a vegetarian chili. Um, I had some, didn't get sick. Great, my, great job. Uh, I let my wife eat most of it. <laughs> Not because and, I'm and a mean person, um, but because I just wasn't around to eat it, um, and she didn't get sick either. So we did we we narrowly averted that disaster. Oh, excellent! But she but she made way too much. We actually ended up throwing it out because it was just uh, she just made like a ton, and then anyway we had a bunch of other leftovers we had to eat up. So didn't did it wasn't it wasn't really my goat. I did have it a couple times, and it was it was perfectly fine, but did not make anybody sick. So there you go. Well, that's good. Good, good. You should have. It was chilly, wasn't it? Uh, it was like a vegetarian chili, yeah. So you should have entered in the chili con, the chili cook-off in Virginia, and been notable because you did not make anyone sick with it. <laughs> uh, one one of the guys in my on my hockey team has just started um, barbecue competitions. Mm. Do you know about these things? Where, I do. Like. Uh, so, so people go and they, I didn't know the intricacies of it until last night, but he, he, uh, is, they, they compete in, um, four different, uh, types of meat. They do chicken ribs, pork shoulder and brisket. Mm. And so you have to enter all four of them. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. And then you, uh, you arrive with your meat on Friday around noon and the meat gets inspected. Hmm. Don, what, what do you think they inspect the meat for? Quality? No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wrong. That's what I thought. Okay. Um, they inspect that... the meat to, to make sure that you haven't um, mechanically tenderized or injected it oh. with anything well, prior to arrival. Be- because they're worried about food safety? 
No, or because they they're cheating. worried about advantage of cheating. Yeah. yeah, that you've like flavor enhanced this, and that as you uh, you slow roast it and, um, and over the charcoals, that that you release all this moisture that you've maybe injected in there, and then from noon or so on Friday uh, until um, mid afternoon on Saturday, you cook your barbecue, and then judges come by, and uh, and taste it. Well, um, do you know who knows about barbecue judging? Meathead. Well, Meathead Goldwyn, who is awesome, and you should yeah. follow him on Twitter. But also, um, Southern oh. Wendy and her husband Todd—they used to do That's this. Right. Yeah, Tri- I forgot about that. Triple yeah. Triple W. Yep. Um, so yeah, uh, that's uh, that, it's pretty it's pretty fantastic. Anyway, I say I bring up Meathead because Meathead and I had a really interesting uh, Twitter conversation uh, last week about chicken sh- sashimi. Ooh, um, did you? I don't know if you followed this on my on I, my Twitter. Feed. I did not. Tell me more. So, so I'm not I'm not going to uh, find it, but but essentially, I posted something about uh, chicken sashimi, and he. Um, said this can't be legal and i was like no it's it's totally legal um you can sell undercooked uh meats as long as you have a consumer advisory associated with it and you disclose that there's a risk when when it's ordered it's no different than ordering an undercooked hamburger or steak tartare and he's like no this i don't believe you no health department in the United States would allow someone to sell chicken sashimi. So then I, I brought in well the aid of um, at NeuroNerd, and I'm going to get her name right this time because I need to point out to you that um, that Veronica uh, Bryant, uh, who I, apparently in one of the previous episodes I referred to her as Victoria Bryant. Ooh, uh, gee, yeah, which is not her. Yeah, so I've been I saw her in person earlier this week, and she's like. How did you call me the wrong name? And so then I've started calling her Vicky. Um, uh, anyway, so I, I brought Veronica into this discussion. I was like, Veronica, state health regulator, can you please help me? She's like, yeah, confirmed. In the state of North Carolina, you can sell chicken sashimi. It's not illegal. So, so meat meathead. Like I like following him. Uh, sometimes he gets uh, involved. He really, he's all about thermometers. Uh, gets involved in some in some food safety stuff. But he, uh, I don't think he. I still don't think he believes me that you could. And, and I think he thought I was like promoting it with some of my tweets. He's like, no, this can't be illegal. You shouldn't tell people about this. Like, no, no. It's well, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's legal. And I'm telling people so that they don't eat it. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, so yeah, meet, meathead Goldwyn, a, a good Twitter follow. Um, and we had an exchange with him over email a few years ago and doesn't, isn't he married to someone who works at USDA? <laughs> Uh, no, um, we shouldn't. Oh, so a, yeah. we shouldn't. We shouldn't out. We shouldn't out his famous uh, spouse. But I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. It's. Um, I found out about his website from his spouse, who doesn't have yeah. the same last name, and who works. He, he's from Chicago, and she works for uh, a regulatory agency in Chicago. And uh, she's she's an awesome editor of a journal. And uh, there you go. You've now got enough information to figure out who it is. But um, if you're if you're clever, but but I, for some reason, neither of them promote the fact that they're they're married to each other, which I respect. I mean, you know, they want to. He wants to. You know, he doesn't. I mean, who who wants to go around and say your wife's from a regulatory agency? But but I mean, it is it is good because I know that I know that his food safety information is going to be right. Uh, admittedly, he was maybe a little bit wrong about uh, sashimi chicken, but um, you know, yeah, in, in, in right. fairness, his wife is concerned with juice 
seafood and all the rest of the food supply except for meat and poultry. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes I, I, I'm pretty sure that Danny doesn't promote that she's married to me either. <laughs> so it's, and it's got nothing to do with me being a regulator. <laughs> um, so, so there you go. And I know you've got a hard out here at, uh, at 10 or 11 o'clock as do I. Yeah. I got to work um, on uh, CFP mail order food safety. And I get to go attend, uh, a PhD defense of someone who you and I both know, Hannah Bollinger. So she is giving her exit uh, uh, seminar at 11:45 this morning, and uh, she has her defense this afternoon or after soon after. So I'm gonna uh, I'll I'll say hi to her for you, and she's, she's yeah she's, uh, she's she's nervous, so you know she'll be she'll be, be fine. Up. She won't hear this until afterwards, but um, she did a uh, I read her read her thesis um, early last week uh, on my way to uh, to Texas, and she did a really good job. God, so, glad glad to hear it. Because like I said, she, she we we talked because she now she works in New Jersey. We're talking about doing some collaboration, collaborative research together, and uh, we had like a really nice co- conversation about collaboration. And then as she was leaving, um, she made a comment to me that kind of made me think she was a little worried. Um, and so I, uh, we, we spent another 45 minutes then, uh, talking about, uh, advice on her defense. So it's good. It's good to know she has, yeah. she'll have a friend in the room and it's good to know you've read she the will. thesis and you think it's good. So good. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's really good. She did, she did a lot of really cool stuff. And then, um, I haven't seen like, uh, from a multidisciplinary angle, she did extension. She did GIS, uh, work. She looked at weather. She did microbiology. She did molecular work. I mean, really spread across lots of different disciplines to answer the same, you know, type of question, uh, around campy and, uh, antimicrobial resistance in, in turkeys, which was really cool. Like it's, it's kind of fun to look at, at this all integrated together. So I think she did a really great job. Um, so, hey, um, I, you know, every once in a while when I'm having a down day, um, I, I look at if, if food safety <laughs> talk is coming, is becoming famous and, and, uh, we are right. We kind of are Don. We're, um, I, I looked, uh, just around, you know, Google us and, and we are listed on the microbiologics blog, um, which is a podcast for, uh, the, have a post for podcast for microbiologists and curious non-scientists. We're number two. Yeah. When you, when you linked, uh, send me this link, I was really, I was really, uh, I was impressed and it's, and very nice. So thanks. Uh, thanks to the folks, um, at, uh, microbiologics for linking to us. That's, uh, that's, that's, you've nailed it. That's exactly what we're podcast for microbiologists and curious, uh, non, non microbiologists. So, so thanks. Yeah, it was, it was super cool. And then at the same time, uh, post somewhat, uh, you know, uh, randomly or not randomly, but someone used a discussion that we had in our episode, uh, 133 about, um, uh, hurricane relief. And, and this was in the midst of Harvey and right before Maria. And we, we had a really 15 minute conversation about practical stuff, uh, on, you know, questions that we get, um, when the power goes out. And so, um, Julie Buck, who is a registered dietitian and food safety specialist and health educator at the university of Idaho, um, and Banrock County, she used a bunch of stuff from our podcast, gave us fan, like fantastic credit. Didn't even have to do that. Uh, but, uh, but said, um, here's some practical, uh, links, uh, to things that we, that we talked about and said, um, 
uh, Don and Ben uh, talked uh, food safety guidelines within the framework of a real consumer of real consumer questions they receive. And so and and she she yeah. she she notes the episode and then she tells people when we started talking about it and then when we stopped. So in case you only care about that little bit, you can just Amazing. find that part. And then of course, yeah, she she mentions the 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 things that we the resources that we link to in the podcast. So so fantastic. Thank you, Julie. Um, really appreciate that. This is. Um, you know, this is this is this is why we do it, right? We do it because uh, we're we're part of this community of folks that wants to help people, um, you know, make their make their food safer and, and understand why. Yeah, and it's super cool when we hear that it get that it gets out there that someone actually uses this stuff. Like that's um, it it gives you more motivation to to keep to keep doing it. I, Don, we're not one of the forty percent of blogs that's faded away in the first year, so I, I think not. we should keep. I think we should keep going. I think, I think so. We should, I think, I think so. At least I'm signed least, up for another year. Uh, well, you know, at least what are we? What are we up to? Uh, let's we, let's at least go to 150. Let's go to 150, and then and then we'll make a 50, call. 151. What, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Um, what? And then we and we still haven't done the clip show, so we're gonna have to. <laughs> Highlights. That's the it's a holiday show. You know, we don't we're not actually gonna come in, but we'll just do our, our best bits, our best takes. Nice. Hot hot take hot, hot take. Yeah. Uh all right. Well, I think we should uh we should call that a show. All right. Um that that was uh episode number one thirty six. Oh no, one thirty one thirty seven. Sorry, I, I'm not I'm not good at math, Ben. Um that's your you're much better at math 137. than I am. 137. This one's yours, baby. Yes, it is. It's the odd. It's mine. Um, all right. Well, uh, Don, thanks a lot. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So we're looking at two weeks from today. That's November second. I have I have to. Um, I'm giving a talk in the afternoon. Well, actually, it starts at noon. Mm. Well, I'm, so, I'm giving a talk in the morning 
Actually, oh, well, then we're uh, yeah, well, we could we could probably make it work. But um, here's the thing, Ben. You know who I'm going to maybe see on November 2nd? Who? You're not going to believe this. Who do you always Northern... mention on the podcast? John Lachansky and Anna Porter. Yes! No way. That's fantastic. I am uh, actually friend of the podcast. Um, I, I don't know if he listens, but uh, anyway, food safety friend Josh Gertler invited me to give give a yeah. talk at USDA. So so I, I've got to I've got to leave my house about nine uh, to give a talk at USDA at ten thirty. So um, maybe maybe Is Thursday's that- out. You're only an hour and a half from there. I um, spent so much time there, I didn't realize how close you oh, were. Oh yeah, it's like it's they're right outside of Philly. So and yeah, yeah. yep, awesome. Well, I will. Um, yeah, we we probably can't make that work that day. Um, yeah, just because I've got. Um, yeah, well, about, my my window would be like nine till eleven. How about um, the, how about the day before? How about uh, Wednesday? Oh no, Don. We have writing buddies that day. We do. And and remember what it, what I what I have all day? No. Uh, <laughs> on writing for that I was hoping oh, that we you would schedule a, writing. Yeah, you have a thing. I got a thing. Okay. I got a thing I got to do. Um, I got a thing about, I got to do that that I would love to step out of. Um, <laughs> how about how about Halloween? How uh, how about how, oh, how about the third? Um, about Friday the Fridays third? Fridays are never good for me. Oh yeah, that's your yeah. It's my meeting day. Um, so. Oh, but Halloween. you know what I am doing on Friday, November third. I'm going to Destination Dogs with with Dane Jensen. Oh no way! Oh, I really got to awesome. take you there. It's it's a it's a very cool bar with lots of good hot dogs. So that sounds anyway. awesome. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so right. okay, so Friday the third won't won't. Or sorry, that won't work for you. And Halloween doesn't work for me. I've got uh, a meeting from twelve till three, and then a meeting from nine till eleven, and uh, another one at le- yeah Monday I'm, I'm the Monday the thirtieth. Monday the thirtieth works monday the 30th is wide freaking open all right i've got a meeting in the afternoon so. two o'clock yeah I, i'm good anytime before two o'clock all right um 10 sure the only only problem is um uh, that day uh i have to be at work um and so i can't forget <laughs> my microphones <laughs> don't forget your mic what, what time do you say 10 o'clock Ten. Not, yeah, yeah 10 o'clock that, that'd be perfect it's one thirty-eight. Excellent. I am my my heart out at eleven is I get to talk to uh, NPR about um, contaminated flood flooded fields from Harvey and should we eat the produce? Cool. It's a quick interview, Don. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. Goodbye. Yeah, don't don't eat it. Yeah. Um, so cool. Yeah. So FST one thirty-eight. October 30th, 10 a.m. And then this one's mine. Yep. And I will, I'm going to do my best to get this edited tonight because we have a hockey tournament this weekend and I leave at 6.30 in the morning tomorrow Oof. to drive to Charlotte. Okay. For a 10 and 30 a.m. game for Jack. So Okay. Well, I, um, I, I've got to literally jump off the call and get on another call. Yep. So I can't Go. get the show notes posted, uh, show notes to you. Um, I, I won't but, do it until but, tonight, but, but, but I'll get it. I'll get yep. it done. I got the rest of the days free after this, uh, after this call. So cool. All right. Thanks on. All right. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.